Hello, Rooster Team Radio listeners, and welcome to today's episode of Gen Lockdown. We're going to be diving deep into episode four, and I can't do this alone. Every every robot team has to be a team. It can't just be one person. That'd be weird, right? This isn't Big O. This is Gen Lock. Uh, I would like to introduce the well. I'm the Internet's Mark Budonica, joined as always by Katie Cullen. Hi, all my buddies. Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And Stacy Shuttleworth. Hello, hello. All right, so this episode had a whole bunch of a smorgasbord of information. We got a sweet action sequence, but I want to know, uh, Katie, starting with you, what were your overall feelings about this episode? This episode was an exercise in whiplash, and I absolutely loved it. We've got the really fun team building and training montage and whatnot, and we've got this is what the internet looks like in the future, and also we've got a hard left turn into mecha hell. So it was it was very intense for very different reasons, and I had a great time. Holy cow. It was a great time. This this really was a lot of information being thrown at us all at once from all different corners of the different knowledge bases that we need to be part of. And I'm a big old sucker for montage-esque like training sequences and then team bonding. So all about this. Oh yeah, I love a good montage. It was so good. Um, yeah, this was a fantastic episode, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but like we've been saying before, uh, it was super well-balanced. It had a good blend of comedy, some heartwarming drama. It had really good character-building sequences. And then, yeah, in the end, we have a light-hearted action sequence immediately followed by a harrowing one. And oh my god, do I love that Decepticon-looking SOB. Oh, it looks so good. It's terrifying. Horrifying. We're going to talk about that dude who I'm, I've am i been referring to as the anti-Holon a little bit later. But getting world-building, character-building, team-building for it to be possibly knocked down a peg is a wonderful exercise in I'd say short-term storytelling because we got a lot and it, it was a big info dump but in a way that was very natural and in a way that in knowing how Dr. Weller operates seemed very much in his wheelhouse and I wanted to start with a couple of things because in the discord uh, and I'm I'm sorry I'm, I'm pretty sure this was impy but if I'm incorrect I want to I just want to say uh, I, I had a, care, a question for everybody about Cammy because uh, we've been seeing the ears as a uh, something that she just kind of wears but a, a question and a theory has been brought up that Perhaps she is hearing impaired and those ears have served some sort of a an assistance than than just aesthetic. So does anybody think that Cammy's treatment in the morning as they were sort of she seemed to be either sleeping through or not hearing any of the get up calls was a character trait or if it added any fuel to the fire of this theory? And I'll start with Megan on this. This is a very interesting discussion, um, because as we see, uh, this episode delves into uh, very, very specific issues, which deal with the larger sort of meta aspects of inclusion. And so Cammy, if she is in fact hearing, in hearing impaired, that actually would be a very interesting aspect of her, aspect of her character. And again, like looking at this episode and just learning what we learn about Valentina... Um, 
I think it would be really cool having a character who has a hearing impairment on the show because there are like looking at the types of characters that we have, we have a very diverse group. I really like the idea um, of this particular character trait because that would mean that that would be another aspect of inclusion that a lot of shows don't necessarily like to tackle or they like to tackle in a very melodramatic fashion. So that would be very interesting. I like the idea. I'm not sure if that's what Rooster Teeth was going for. I definitely read this as, oh, she's having trouble getting out of bed. Well, it's a teenager thing. She's she's what, like 16? She is she's the youngest of all of them. So I definitely read that as not wanting to get out of bed. All right, yeah, no, teenager thing. And then uh, leaning a little bit into the stereotypical anime fan idea, because I've been to my fair share of anime conventions, and uh, at this point, you can buy cat ears that kind of read your emotions a little bit and move accordingly. And that's what I've always read those rabbit ears as, especially since once we get into the ether and we see the form that she chooses... To me, that always leaned a little more into teenager into anime sort of thing. That's kind of how I saw it at first, too, especially with her referencing manga and kind of going in that direction verbally. Uh, I absolutely adore the read that she's hearing impaired, though. I think that that brings up a lot of new interesting facets of her, like looking at how she acts. Uh, And I, I don't know if that's exactly what's going on, but I mean, she's very straightforward. And she's, I like the idea of her being, you know, into the rabbit ear aesthetics, especially as an enhancement to hearing. So I definitely see a correlation there that could possibly be explored. And I think her desire to, if if it is the case that she is hearing impaired or not, I think it works into what Dr. Weller was saying when it came to qualifying for the Genlock program. And she found a way to... Uh, improve a situation and she was that gung-ho and forward-thinking which could have made her more eligible at a younger age who knows Uh, or maybe it was just her attention online but um, Megan you brought up uh, something that we found out in the ether was uh, true gender fluidity tech when it came to uh, Val and Valentina and I think for the sake of this confirmation we we use they them pronouns even though we haven't been confirmed yet but um when it came to this revelation megan what was your reaction i was exceedingly impressed i will say i was surprised because again you know i i've been thinking of them very much as sombra um and uh but like i i i was so impressed um we've come a long way from I mean, this is the same company that, you know, years and years ago, there's a, and, you know, to an extent still in Red versus Blue, the, the punchline of that character is he acts gay. Um, and that's the punchline. <laughs> and so we've come a long way in the various productions regarding inclusive, uh, being inclusive and LGBTQ representation. And I know that people were crying out for it, like, as soon as Ruby started, people were crying out for it, like almost immediately. Um, and we're, we're getting that LGBTQ representation in that particular show. Um, but it's it's so cool that just like right out of the gate, Genlock just jumped into it. And 
I I think it's awesome. I'm so I'm so excited, and I love their attitude about it too. Um, and I I like addressing Kazu's confusion and the fact that they're just like, look, look, that's just the way it is, and you'll never know because I'll never tell you. <laughs> so good. It was so indicative of of Val Val's character, and th- totally agreed. What about you, Katie? I think this was handled incredibly well. Like, there are ways to do reveals like this that are tokeny and maximum drama and whatever. And this this was handled extremely well. And I mean, it's not like Rooster Teeth is unfamiliar with the concept. If anyone knows Caden, they transition and they are a wonderful, lovely human being whom I adore. So it's they're not unfamiliar with the concept. They're not unfamiliar with it in real life. And they have given incredibly solid, well-executed representation here. And I am pretty damn proud of them. And I do love that the, oh, well, what were you born as? You'll never know. Like, yeah, you don't have to answer that question. And people shouldn't be asking it of you. I also think this was handled exceedingly well. And I think that the matter-of-fact kind of way they approached the conversation was also uh, extremely important. And having Kazu as kind of that, wait, what character who who needed more explanation gave people who may not have encountered people who are gender fluid before a little bit of relatability to jump off of. So I appreciated that in, uh, (laughs) although for today's audience, that is a really relatable and necessary thing. In Genlock, they're very far in the future, so the idea of gender fluidity being uh, still relatively unknown is not the most uh, uplifting, I guess. You you mentioned that, but when it came, to, it, it's kind of a modern, a modern for our time, not their time, indication. Impy in our Discord, which you can join with a link in the description, um, the uh, be, considering that Japan is a pretty conservative country it, it's not necessarily it made more sense rather that that kazu was the person to question it but when it comes to uh their actor when it comes to val's voice actor asia kate dylan is also non-binary and i, I was hoping that they were going to go that rooster teeth was going to go this direction with them and the fact that we have that representation and also i think this type of future tech is something that i think this was the one of the most exciting pieces of tech than seeing how the ether works especially more recently with our world's versions of vr and and ready player one and that type of stuff like the ether was cool and there was a couple of fun little things in there that uh people were hoping that megan and katie picked out but the fact that they use this as their way to look deeper into people and and give us a look of how they feel comfortable representing themselves is uh was v- very a very good use of this technology but the 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 revelation that there is legitimate gender fluidity and there is technology to keep enhance that fluidity is i think the coolest piece of tech to come out of today's episode and i know all of this stuff that was <laughs> revealed in this episode um but i since i i mentioned it uh megan and katie did you notice the uh the avatar 
of the character that Val was looking at as they wanted, they decided to go to the club. Nope. I missed it as well. I I know somebody asked us about it on the Discord, and I was just like, did I did I miss something? And I didn't go back to look. Well, they pinged us before we'd even gotten a chance to watch the episode, so it was like, oh, someone pinged us. Oh, it's in the Genlock channel. Can't look at it yet. Smart. So so this will this will be a, a double edged thing. I'll I'll start with this first. The model they used one of the club goers from Mercs as uh the model that one of the people that Val was looking at when they wanted to go into the club. I feel like that is a really deep cut for if you have Mercs memorized, which I enjoyed it, but I don't. Wait, was it was it Locus? Like was it Locus or Felix? Or? No, no, no. It was one of the one of the club goers, one of the, just the the background club goers. They reused a model. Okay, I I was going to say if Locus, if that particular model for Locus was in this episode, I need to stop this recording right now and go back because <laughs> I need to see that. I need to go see my sweet, sweet boy. If it was Locus or Felix, we would have noticed. They they recycled an NPC. It's it's a nice Easter egg. It's a nice deep cut. We were looking at other things at the time. Oh, sure. But I've, I've watched the episode like three times at this point. But while everybody was looking at the those folks in the middle ground, I was looking at the person dabbing in the background and having a conniption and wondering who put that in. Of course you were. Of course. Of course the dab would survive into the far distant future. It's one of those ancient, it's like the new Carlton dance where it's X amount of years in the future, but people go, hey, this used to be a culturally relevant sort of a thing. We'd be remiss not to mention the ruby reference stacy what was your reaction I, I might have screamed can't confirm though don't don't ask anybody who may have watched the episode with me texting him right no, now no 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 <laughs> i adored this it was the exact same thing i definitely fangirl squeed um i love i i loved all of the 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 like sort of shifting through the genres cuz like even when she was like sci-fi it looked very halo-esque um, it wasn't an overt red versus blue reference, but it did look very Halo. And then, um, and then, yeah, jumping straight into Ruby. First of all, I need all of the fan art. I need all of the fan art ASAP. <laughs> I need it now. <laughs> yes, please. I yelled. I yelled. I love it. I need it. You know what I want fan art of? Them as pirates. We had a hot second where everyone was in pirate gear. And I want it in my life. That was so good. I need I need a whole AU. Oh yeah, I want to see Doctor Weller going. You know what? We need we need a true team building exercise. This is a an older title, but let's bring up Sea of Thieves and see how well you all perform as members of a pirate crew. That would be a lot of mutiny. Hold on. <laughs> I would assume Kazu would start his own his own ship. He would get in a little schooner and just be take on the world. <laughs> Someone would be in the brig all the time. That would be amazing. Kazu would be one of those people who would build a ship that's all cannons and then forget that you need things like oars or sails or things to make it go. I'm going to build this ship out of iron. Wait. I feel like he'd somehow still make it work. You'd still see him floating along. After our training, we got 
a wonderful dip into emotional baggage territory and an immediate rise into a new budding friendship that everybody wants to see more. This this was a little murky when it came to Miranda and Chase's conversation. I don't I don't know what to think, to be perfectly honest. This this I, I don't I don't know what to think, so I'm gonna make somebody else think for me. Uh Megan. <laughs> Okay, Mark, I'm going to tell you exactly what to think. Are you ready? Are you listening? Thank you, God. (laughs) No, this is, I loved the way this was handled because obviously Miranda is feeling a lot of frustration at the situation. And just like we were saying in the last episode, it took her years to get over Chase. And it took her years to think that, you know, to finally be able to pick up and move on. And so, yeah, it's not like she just jumped into Jody's arms as soon as he was dead. No, like, there was a long mourning process. And she, she did, like, for all intents and purposes, he was dead to her. And so she had to deal with that and move on. And I think that they handled it in a really good way. I know we were talking about how kind of skeezy it was that Chase was um, <laughs> publicly emasculating Jody in front of everybody as like a power move. But here, you know, he's obviously had a little bit more time to process it. And he, he clearly doesn't begrudge anyone. And it's, it's more just sad. You know, it's sad for both of them that things had to turn out this way. But it's nobody's fault. It's just sort of the way things happened. And um, presenting it as like, yeah, it's just that, as it's no one's fault. Like, I thought for a moment this was going to turn into a CW show where they were just going to completely erupt at each other. But no, he handled it exceedingly maturely. Like, you know, an adult should. And yeah, this was just really, really good. The thing that stood out to me the most about this conversation, though, wasn't necessarily their relationship status. It was the fact that he dropped the the information that his family didn't make it out of New York alive. And which means that he made that sacrifice for nothing. And that's that to me is the bigger is the bigger tragedy. Yeah, I I thought that was a pretty good point. Um, Honestly, I think that this conversation was pretty well handled. And Chase also told us that he too was touch and go and didn't want to say, hey, I'm alive, only to just die the next day. Like, we had that bit about Union Nanotech. We can't regenerate and we don't know if anything is going to work. So, yeah, this this was also the conversation where we dropped the line, keep moving forward, which I think <laughs> utterly devastated the both of us. And gave us a good view into Chase's mindset right now. Because he's dealing with the romantic side of things, yes, but he's also dealing with the fact that this is his situation now. This is what happened. His family is gone. His, he lives in a tube. And he is, it's something that he needed to come to terms with. That said, in terms of romantic stuff, I wanted a threesome. Just just a romantic threesome, you know, this is my girlfriend Miranda and her boyfriend Jody. I'd be down. I would love that. Happiness for everyone. <laughs> We're all adults here, we can handle that. It's the future. I think this is a really interesting play of logic and emotion, and after their first kind of a little more clash-filled interactions before, where emotions were running a lot higher and really ruling at least... 
their approach with each other and how especially how Chase was looking at her and how he's acted in the past couple episodes this was more of a balance of a coming together and actually talking about the reality of what was going on and I think that it was a really nice approach and this is a hard subject to talk about and a hard subject to really know what any one person is going to do so as we've learned more about Chase and about Miranda watching how their decisions played out and then the logic behind their decisions was kind of welcome to get that insight yeah yeah I can agree with that um I wonder if the confirmation of Chase's family being gone is indicative of whether it was nanotech that just completely eradicated the city or somebody, I don't remember if it was somebody here or somebody in the Discord threw out the possibility that Chase's family defected to to the Union and them being gone isn't is language that everybody else can just pop into their mind of, oh, they're dead. But what if they're just, they weren't there? And because of the nature of nanotech and how it, the only time that we've seen it is it just sort of eradicates all organic material. What if when, when they thought there was nothing to find, it was only because they weren't there and they left with the union? I think that's yeah. I, I think that is a possibility, and we still have that one line uh, that Sinclair says when he sees Chase about, "Oh, I know someone who would really like, uh, you know, to hear about you or to see you," and that could refer to one of his family members on the Union side now. Solid yikes! Solid oof. Uh, we get one oof per per show, and I think we used it there. So before we continue, we just wanted to let you know that places where you can support us if you are a fan of the show if you're enjoying this show if you're listening to it on anchor make sure to like our show and you'll be able to see every time we update whether it's ruby redux or rvb recall camp camp counselors corner welcome to Vale, hint hint or gen lockdown or any of the other shows that we're working on right now make sure to follow on your podcast provider of choice if you're listening on anchor Thank you. Uh, You can also support us on Anchor by signing up for a monthly paid subscription, and this it will help to enhance our technological capabilities. Because right now we're still kind of bare bones. We just went independent, and we don't have big studio support. So we could really use some from y'all. You can either sign up for a dollar, five dollar, or ten dollar monthly subscription donation and we have a coffee account which is code slash code hyphen fi.com slash the rooster team and just contact us and say hi even if you just share the show that is enough to get the word out have more people listen and uh, you can help sponsor us and improve the quality of the show as we are trying to do every single week and uh, please also on your podcast provider of choice, leave us a review. And if you can't leave us a review, tweet about us, use our hashtag, tag us uh, on Twitter. We we highly appreciate the additional press. Um, you're, you're wonderful. We love you. But we also have another sponsor that you can support. Katie, if you would be so kind. Rooster Team Radio is sponsored by Fred's BS. Fred's and spreads by Fred. Fred's BS is an L.A. local one-man baked goods business that offers unique flavors in small batches. Whether you're looking for homemade jams, brownies, blondies, or brown sugar buddies, the best cookies you've ever had, Fred's BS can provide. 
All products are made in small batches with fresh ingredients. Nothing is ever frozen. Fred provides a plethora of flavors that can't be found in stores, like the aforementioned brown sugar buddies or his strawberry peach paradise sunrise jam. There's currently a new Valentine's Day special in the store, so that also can't be found in stores, so check that out. And if you're LA local, you can choose pickup instead of delivery and get your goods even sooner. Head to fredsbs.com and use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. That's fredsbs.com, F-R-E-D-S-B-S.com, and coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM. Fred's BS. Treat yourself, because you deserve it. Thank you, Katie, and thank you, Fred, for sponsoring our shows here on Rooster Team Radio. And you know what? I'll just say it. If you're interested in sponsoring us, why don't you hit us up at our email address, theroosterteamshow at gmail.com. Now let's get back to Gen Lock episode four. Uh, the show started this week with a whole bunch of, of information from Dr. Weller, some stuff that we were assuming, some stuff that we speculated upon. Stacy, I'll start with you. What was your favorite piece of, in- or what was the most interesting piece of information about Genlock to you? Uh, looks like we were kind of wrong on the upload time. <laughs> it looks more in the at least nine hour range and growing. So I thought that was an interesting confirmation to kind of get. Uh, I also liked having kind of solid confirmation that if you uh, exceed or uh, the go into the overclocking and wear down your time that variables like that could affect how long you could be uploaded hard info when it comes to sci-fi is such an important thing and that that was that was one of the best megan what about you i absolutely loved not only not only this montage but yeah david tennant's um voiceover during it giving all of this exposition uh first of all the montage reminded me a lot of when I was in swimming in high school because a lot of early mornings so I really felt Cammy's pain for a lot of this um but as far as all of the technical side of it goes I loved how Evangelion this felt um because even though Evangelion pilots are like you know in the robots um the, the all of the neural interfacing stuff is very reminiscent the fact that the younger the pilot, the better. Like finding out that one of the other guys, um, uh, I believe it was Leon, uh, was compatible, but is too old for the program now. Like you could tell he didn't he didn't know that <laughs> um, going in. But um, so the fact that you know Cammy being young is actually a big advantage um, because you can age out of this program. Uh, that felt very Evangelion, and of course all of the uh, the neural ties felt very Evangelion and even the time limit because even though Evangelion doesn't have like a neural time limit on that the fact that when those robots are unplugged there's there's a very set time limit as to how long the robot can function without that external power source all of this felt so so reminiscent of all of that and I I don't mean that in a derivative way I mean it in that in that sort of I really love this kind of way you took literally everything I was going to say (laughs) literally everything (laughs) (laughs) now you know how it feels bye that was that was ruby redux in a nutshell everybody taking what i wanted to say (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like we've been doing this together for years 
Yeah, no, I really appreciated having this info dump, having it in bits and pieces, and then having it as voiceover as part of the montage. So along with that, along with the aging out, here's a little bit of info, uh, time limit, here's a bit of info, overclocking, here's a bit of info. We got to see them learning to work together. We got to see them going from just the endoskeletons to working with the armor as well. We got to see the bit that I appreciated because that whole Kazu was demoted to his team's cook thing was going from him being on his own cooking breakfast for himself to, well, here's a fried egg for Cammy because she looks like she needs it to breakfast for everyone. Like, I love it. I love the little bits of character development we got. And then I loved the assessment at the end of, yeah, no, it's still not enough. They're still not working as a team. They have a functional psychic link when they're in the Holons and they still can't communicate. It's not, that's a software issue. That's not a hardware issue. Well, at that point, we don't know that it's still kind of in beta, but uh, that, that brings up something that I'm surprised y'all didn't come up with it's something that we've been considering and just hoping for was we get the first drop of genlock phase two which is the uh, private network mind link between all pilots which we see uh, an example of at the end of the episode but genlock phase two huh if if that is bringing everybody's minds together and working together would that lead to a voltroni power rangery super sentai connection between the brains and the robots if if so cool let me know what you think if not what thoughts do you have on genlock phase two and i'll start with stacy i think uh i would love to see a giant robot made up of all of their connected minds Honestly, and I guess depending now, you know, we see them facing tougher and tougher enemies and clearly the union is learning too. So that might be where this will eventually have to head. It may not have been Weller's initial thoughts since he really wasn't focused on combat anyways, but to use it to kind of allow for a very unified larger force attack then i can see us definitely heading in that direction uh mark i'm gonna be honest i only heard half the question because you said combined into a giant robot and all i heard after that was yes 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 i need it i want it give me that giant robot i am gonna harsh your vibe i don't think that's gonna happen how dare you? Because every time that we've had a giant robot series, it has involved some flavor of Magitech. It's been, it hasn't been hard sci-fi. It's been, all right, Power Rangers. Well, there's the Morphing Grid. There's magic. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Voltron, literal magic, alchemy going on here. And then I'm comparing this more to a Gundam series because Gundam tends to be a little more hard sci-fi politics, etc. I don't see a mechanism that would allow the robots to physically combine. Five people acting in sync or as one? Absolutely. Physically combining these robots together? Uh, no. Well, I became more of a fan of this idea after the conversation between Migus and Cammy, where 
the end the the endoskeletons stay the same, but you can start modding with 3D printing and you can be super precise with all of that printing and all of that design to the point where that type of a combination is possible. And the best way to make that work would be to put all of those brains into one uh, mind frame so that they can all maneuver in the same way as one unit. Now, possible-wise, is it going to happen? I don't Maybe, probably not. But I, I think that the idea they've presented the possibility with the technological advances that they utilize honestly i think that maneuvering together and working together to that level is something that can be accomplished with training and team bonding and i mean obviously we're not there yet but real life examples we have combat units that do that we have i mean hell synchronized swimming teams that do that it's a matter of getting to know the people that you're working with to the point where you know how they're going to think and you know how they're going to react. And a big part of this episode was making the point that we're nowhere near that yet with this crew and they need to be there. So I think having the straight up psychic link such as it is helps, but it's still a matter of wanting to get to know each other and being willing to work together. And we're not there yet. If this whole thing leads to an episode, if this whole mental link and needing to sync up leads to an episode where it's both of you dance like you want to win, I am all about it. Please, 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 Genlock, give me that episode. I'm down. <laughs> hey, 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 we can dance if we want to. Yeah, you're going to leave Stacy and I behind. So with that, I, um, I want... Bye, Felicia. I wanted to ask about uh, Migas and Cammy, and the the scene was kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. Where in the intro we see presumably the fully modded out kits of everybody, and this is the start of that. But I want initial reactions from the scene. I'll start with Katie. I love it. I love that Migas just occasionally looks at protocol and goes, "Ah, eh, fuck it." Like, here's the program that you'd need, which you didn't get from me. Have fun. Like, I just, I appreciate this. I would love to see them game together. I would love to see them program together. This is a friendship that I didn't realize I wanted until they showed it to me. And then I realized I wanted it very, very much. Well, yeah, these are two people that almost every other word out of their mouth has been siege. So one would think that <laughs> at some point they'll play together. This is kind of the perfect friendship that for some reason I didn't really anticipate. But this is Cammy's element. This is this is where she feels comfortable in that programming world. So to have her take an interest in her mech, especially since she's had so much trouble with it, and then have Vegas be like, "Oh, yeah, you you know what you're doing. Let's let's take a look at this," and kind of sliding her that info on the down low, uh, is perfect. They are perfection. Uh, yeah. This this moment was absolutely perfect. They have so much in common. Like, the, the second Cammy started talking about video games, I, I don't know why, but I feel like right then and there, I should have realized that these two were going to become friends. She's also the most, as far as we can see, the most technologically savvy out of our new recruits. And so it makes so much sense that, you know, 
the person in charge of maintaining the Holons would get along really great with the person that was like, let me QC this for you before I hop into it. <laughs> like, so, so seeing um, their, their interactions and, and getting the idea of sort of where their relationship is going to go in terms of friendship, I, I really love, like, I feel like this is, they're going to be like our bros of the series. Well, and this makes me wonder if there aren't more modifications coming down the line for Cammy's haul-on. I'm not sure, I don't remember seeing in the intro whether or not there was a height discrepancy, but there was the comment about you basically need to remove and remake the legs. Well, the head's been removed, so we're going to need to work with the endoskeleton anyway. Why don't we just work with it? That was going to be my transition point into the big fight and the revelation of our anti-Holon, which, again, will probably have a different name. The U- the Union probably has a real dumb name for it that's not as cool as anti-Holon, but I'm going to go with it. So, uh, Katie, I'll come right back to you since you started it. Do you have any theories on what the anti-Holon is? Like, what sort of tech it's utilizing? Megan and I talked a little bit about this before we sat down to record One of the theories is that either Dr. Weller used to work for the union, whether he wanted to or not. Another one is that he worked with someone to develop Genlock and that that person took whatever beta early research they had at the moment and went to the union or the union got it or something. Basically, the information lockdown on Genlock has not been the best, I don't think. It's possible that Sinclair was able to broadcast or transmit something in the brief time that he was there. Basically, the Union got this information somehow. We're not sure how. And so then the question is, do they have their own rudimentary form of Genlock? Do they have multiple people piloting this via remote control? I think that if there's a brain in there, there's at least two of them. Because the human mind is not equipped to handle four arms, especially with the level of precision that Shockwave here was able to execute. So that's either a lot of people remote controlling it all in tandem, or some gestalt entity of human brain shoved into that robot. Either way, it's horrifying, and I kind of love it. Horrifying indeed. Uh, So... This really did kind of seem like a rudimentary version of the Genlock program put into a very sleek and horrifying looking robot. And the way the way that it came about, yeah, probably was from an earlier version of Weller's research, right? Why he got picked up the way he did. I, I feel like it's a very real possibility that he was either with the Union or threatened by the Union, that they somehow obtained some of his work and I feel like there's a there's a point where it diverged and they became two relatively different programs working kind of in a parallel so it'll be interesting to find out more particulars I don't think we can have just one human brain piloting that monstrosity Uh, it also makes me wonder if they might have the original and actual Sinclair on their side or in cap you know in a captive form and they're trying to utilize that power or that base that Weller built upon it could be his brain the only thing that was salvageable it, it could be an opposite 
of a Julian situation where the only thing left was the mind and they're just kind of using it as material for this. Uh, Megan, what sort of a theory do you have? I really like the idea of the real Sinclair, not not the imposter clone, whatever that guy was. <laughs> um, I really like the idea of the real Sinclair being inside that robot, not like uploaded on, you know, not like his body actually being on a ship nearby or at a base nearby. I love the idea of that Sinclair being in that robot and not necessarily piloting it G Gundam style, but kind of piloting, like piloting it mentally, but having to actually be in the robot. Although I, I would I would kill to see a G Gundam style pilot in the show. Um, because to me, it would make so much sense as to what happened to Sinclair then. You know, um, if they managed to get him to turn instead of just killing him, you know, they would be able to, you know, put the, the sort of disposable um, spy out on the team while keeping the actual compatible person on their side at their disposal to continue developing this tech. Um, that being said, I love the design of this robot. I love how Transformers Prime Decepticon it looks. It, it is gorgeous. I love the way it moves. I love the meticulous way it was sort of dissecting Cammy's robot. Like you can tell that whatever's piloting it, whether it's a drone, whether it's a person, whatever it is, um, it's looking at how the halons are designed, which, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that means that it's a rival technology, if it's, if it's actually an inferior piece of tech looking to dismantle the superior tech, or if it's really just looking for weaknesses in the halon design. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but again, it's just, it's so cool. I do like that in this exploration, we got confirmation that removing the head does not remove or kill the pilot. It's like, oh, that's an answer. My original answer to what happens when you remove the head was uh, inchoate screaming. But um, there's that too. Good to know. Well, it was a it's sort of a design advantage to where people would naturally go for the head when it comes to something like that, but the actual brain, the actual mind frame is in the chest. So this gave the union that information of where they actually keep the the person's brain in transit. But when it comes to the the anti-holon, I it it felt like it was acting like a germ, similarly to the way that the um oh god, and I totally just dropped the nanotech was operating in terms of finding and isolating biosigns and because some of the movements were so unnatural and so instant that it didn't seem like there was one a human mind in there but it it was so instinctual it felt like it was trying to eradicate something but it did have a a modicum of control over the nanotechnology because it was following it and then we saw it extend its arms in a similar way as Sinclair did in or quote unquote Sinclair did in order to control it and make the bubble. I want to know so much more about this dumb robot, this amazing, sharp, pointy ass uh, Kingdom Hearts looking robot that reminds me a lot of Gundam Epion personally, but 
Yes. If that thing gets a whip, it's over. So we got our final villain of this encounter, but it, it was sort of the end of the fight. I want to know what was everybody's favorite part of the drop, of the fight. And uh, Megan, I'll, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, seeing Kazu pick up two cars to use them as giant brass knuckles all Pacific Rim style uh, was pretty cool. Um, honestly, it's just, it was the introduction of this anti-Holon, of this uh, Decepticon-looking SOB. I... You guys know I love my horror movie monsters, um, and the introduction of this creature, wh- whatever it is, whatever's piloting it, whether it's human or not, um, with just the nanotech swirling behind it was such a striking image um, that it made my my horror movie monster-loving heart sing. I just, I enjoyed so much of this with character introductions, with everyone trying to figure out what the hell they were doing. Um Kazu falling out of the plane, rolling over, and then standing up and posing like, I meant to do that. Just everything, just the level of ridiculousness that we had before everything went to hell. Watching Kazu kind of come into himself and realize that a gun was not going to cut it for his fighting style and just start charging in to pick up uh, the enemies and throw them around. I mean, he, he picked up a pole at one point. And that, that seemed to really encompass his fighting style. So, so to see that come together in this big fight was really satisfying. And the other most satisfying thing, honestly, was their reaction to Cammy And the care that they showed at the, at the conclusion of the fight when they were getting her out of there. It really solidified the growth that they had gone through. It was kind of that... Uh, solid ending to our our montage from earlier my favorite part was seeing uh valentina confirmed as sniper and kazu's role oh god he i think he he stole the show and if it weren't for what happened to cammy i think uh, that would have been one of the main things to take away but um oh oh boy poor cammy uh we've as we heard from kazu from initial uplink they can feel so when it came to uh cammy's head and everything that happened i'm a little surprised or uh, to be fair we haven't seen the aftermath yet but i'm a little surprised that uplink wasn't canceled and she was sent back into into her own head uh, just due to pain or whatever so there has to be some sort of a a block on that but um thought ugh, poor cammy and does anybody have anything other to say besides poor cammy i was intrigued at the fact that she couldn't see and that they had to change the uplink so all right well you're seeing through my eyes now like the only optics are in the eyes of the robot there's no other cameras there's no other I wonder if that's not something that's going to get changed in later designs, because even if taking the head out doesn't remove the pilot from the haul-on, you still have one that is severely disabled at that point, if all your sensory function is still in the head. I think we also got an interesting confirmation there when Yaz is kind of like, oh, it worked, and seemed so surprised that this is not something they have tested before, and that though she and Chase have been working together, they have not been actually really meshing in the fullest ways possible uh the confirmation that they can feel 
inside the giant robot. Uh, I, yeah, that, that confirmed my worst apprehensions about uploading your brain to a robot body. It, and again, it's, it's pinging a lot of that same Evangelion stuff. Cause when, when you get hit with the robot and you feel it, oh man, I, I love that though. I love that as a mechanic of any sort of show like this, because again, it, 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 ra- it racks up the stakes. Like the fact that like you can actually feel it when the robot you're piloting's head gets pulled off. Like that's horrifying for a, a number of reasons. And so I really like that that's a, com- I, I think it's a design flaw if I was going to hop into a robot for sure. But um, I love that as an aspect of this technology. I think that's super cool. And I think it's a really good way of making the fights, you know, uh, of racking up the stake, the personal stakes for the fight. Because if you get hit real hard, it's gonna hurt. It's a good way to uh, ensure those robots are taken care of. And so we'll probably see some additional structural enhancements at the at the end of this confrontation. So that'll do it for us here on Gen Lockdown. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure you subscribe. But before we go, uh, let the folks know where they can find you, starting with Megan. Hey, guys, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at The Manguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, so be sure to check that out. Katie. I'm Katie Cullen. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxe. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos, they live on that YouTube channel. And I am also on an Overwatch podcast called On The Point. Stacey. I'm Stacey Shuttles. You can find me all over Twitter and Instagram at Stacey Shuttles. You can also look for me at Nerds Making Stuff, where I feature all of my fandom-inspired jewelry uh, that I've been working on. And you had a, a Ruby thing that you just debuted recently, yeah? I did. I made a piece inspired by Team Ruby, which was a lot of fun and a lot of color. Is there anything from uh, Genlock that's inspiring you? Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mark Bidonica. Uh, make sure to subscribe here for all of our different shows Gen Lockdown, Camp Camp, Counselor's Corner, RVB Recall, Welcome to Vale. We've got some more stuff in the pipeline as news of our other favorite programs comes out. But until next time, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gen Lockdown. We will see you at the Anvil.